0: Reading Short and Deep Hi, I'm Jesse And I'm Eric And today we're reading Short and Deep The Damned Thing by Ambrose Bierce First published in 1893 And um, uh, I, I was very disappointed with this story first time I read it <laughs> I get that feeling a lot with a lot of Ambrose beers. Um, He gives me what I'm looking for, but not the way I want it delivered. But um, I still like him anyways. But but what did you think of this story? Is this not the first time you read it? Do you remember? If I read it, it
1: it has escaped memory. So it felt like a a new read to me. Um, Although I... There are a lot of Ambrose Bierce things, uh, particularly the Devil's Dictionary and the currents at Owl Creek Bridge that I remember vividly and have read more than once in my life. But this one felt new to me. That is, uh, I was newly reading it. Um, (laughs) I I rather admired the way that it was written. I thought that the story... um, Which, as those of you who have read it know, uh, the the story concerns, uh, among other things, what appears to be an attack on a man, a fatal attack, a lethal attack on a man by an invisible being. The beautiful, vivid visualization of the encounter with something invisible
0: Mm-hmm.
1: is done so well if it weren't for the fact that this was published um, before there was such a thing really as cinematic yeah you have to say this is really cinematic writing uh, and I don't mean that as a trick I mean uh, I was engrossed in it seeing it in my mind's eye even though I was seeing something which can't be seen uh, mm-hmm. that's terrific writing and so I am, I, I suppose we're going to say, you know, just give the bare outlines of the story. But uh, I, I don't know what you mean by saying it's not delivered the way you like it.
0: Yeah, well, I, I, I totally see that. The, even the opening chapter, which is not, I'm calling them chapters. Um, <laughs> even the opening chapter, which is not a, does not have that, that scene has the it's 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 incredibly cinematic. it's like it's designed to be shot, right? in fact, it's so much about what we see that there's it's almost in obtuse in in telling us information, right. It takes its time allowing us to sort of be startled as to what we see. and i, I it's not my preferred mode i I much prefer. The, the like I chapter two is is it chapter two that is from the diary? No, it's uh from the story written by the journalist, right? A man. Mm-hmm. Oh no, yeah, it's chapter two. Mm-hmm. So that chapter to me is like wow. That's I'd, exactly well, what I'd I'm looking. Call for. It,
1: I'd call these sections. I mean, the whole story is is only seven and a half pages long, so.
0: Yeah, I mean, part one, sorry. part two, part three, part four, yeah. what, what, whatever you call them. They have titles. Yeah. They yeah. Um, w- uh, Section two, what may happen in a field of wild oats, is, is exactly what I'm looking for. Section one, I'm like, I don't even know what I'm looking at. And this is actually, I think this is Bierce. This is just, he gets, for my taste, he gets in the way of He's writing to to his own amusement. And it, 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 I think, makes him, if if my taste is to be any kind of judgment, it makes him less accessible to the majority of people than he otherwise should be. If he h- hadn't done his sort of wry takes on everything and um, his um, a deliberate obtuseness, I think he would be even more famous today than he is.
1: Hmm. Well, I would like to. I, I don't know why he may be more or less famous. Um, although I, I, I think your hypothesis is worth exploring. Although well, it's a little difficult since we don't have a, a second Ambrose Pierce we could have writing a different body of work. Exactly. In comparison, <laughs> but it's it's a it's a, it leads to a provocative thought experiment. I, I think I, I'd like to propose something uh, different about how one could read this story, picking up on what you said about uh, wondering why he has to use the same kind, why he chooses to use the same cinematic uh, deployment exposition in the first section that he does where you like it in the second section. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, let me give a quick thumbnail of the story. The story uh, begins with um well the the plot begins with a third person narrator seeing a room in which there are just a bunch of men it's a dark cabin room we come to know that uh, eight of, seven of them are sitting along one wall it's a very small room they could each if they wanted to practically touch the table on the table there behind the table there is uh, an eighth man who is reading by candlelight and they're all silent. And on the table between them is the, the corpse of a ninth man. It's a coroner's inquest. We need to find out what happened to Morgan, the name of the man whose corpse is on the table. They're waiting for a man named William Harker, no relation to Jonathan Harker, since Jonathan Harker appears in literature four years after this was published. Um, so there goes my vampire thesis. <laughs> anyway, um, A man named Harker who uh, apparently witnessed the demise of Morgan. Uh, Harker is a journalist. He has just come back from having sent in his story to the newspaper about the demise. He said that he in fact, submitted it as fiction because it would be incredible as fact. And uh, then he reads what he says happened after he's done. The uh, coroner sets the the coroner's jury to thinking about what's going on. They go out and they come in a few moments later and they decide that, uh, what was recounted to them, which had to do with an attack of an invisible something, a huge invisible something. Um, They just decide to discount that entirely and conclude that Morgan was killed by a mountain lion. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and and basically that, that sort of ends up the story. um, Except that we get an explanation from, uh, Parker as to what it is that might have gone on. I find that kind of interesting. Um, He has all sorts of discussion at the end there about there being sounds we can't hear, but dogs can hear them and uh, they may be too high for us and sounds we can't hear, But we can feel the vibrations, for example, of whale communication when we're standing on a ship, Um, but they're too low for us to hear. And so since there are things that and then we know that there are colors that are too high for us. Uh, He uses the word actinic, which uh, at the end, which refers to ultraviolet. So there are things where the he doesn't use this exact term where the wavelengths are so short we can't see it. And of course, there are others, infrared where they're so long that we can't see it. And he hypothesizes that the color of the damn thing, the title of the story, the color of the damn thing that attacked and killed Morgan was one of these actinic colors. It just can't be seen. Um, one of the things I find really fascinating about this story, moving in that direction to end rather than just coming back with the coroner's inquest, which would make it just a joke. Mm. You know, like, oh, well, we don't believe it's got to be a mountain lion, Um, even though there's no sign of there being a mountain lion. Um, Is that, in a way, the story, with its opening in the dark and silence and just one faint candle and an old diary being read, uh, it, it begins with many of the trappings of a gothic horror story. Mm -hmm. But it ends with the description that turns it into science fiction. Yeah. And to me, that's really important because I believe that the story is about the nature of truth and how we can decide whether or not we have encountered truth. So, you know, we say, well, I wouldn't believe it if I hadn't seen it, although Marshall McLuhan quite Cleverly and wisely said, it's often true that we wouldn't have seen it if we hadn't believed it. <laughs> so, what is it that we believe, and what is it that we see, and how do we make them accord? From little tiny, almost throwaways like, well, I called it fiction when I turned it into the editor because no one would believe it as fact, uh, to the use of cinematic style altogether. It seems to me that Bierce is trying to get us to ask ourselves, does truth reside in what we see or does truth reside in how we construct an understanding of what we see? And in fact, we can construct an understanding of something we don't see like this, whatever it is that that kills Morgan, and we can construct an understanding of something we don't see like the cabin. Because let's face it, we don't see the cabin. We only read words about the cabin. So in that sense, Bierce is asking us, how do we decide to to settle on the truth of anything that's written? Do we ever think that something is, is fact, not fiction? Uh, what really matters? And since the main witness is a journalist do we have any reason to believe what we see in the newspapers is to use more general, a more general notion are the common tales that we spread back and forth amongst us valid reports of what the world is really like? Or are we only deciding what we want to believe functions in the world as those seven men in the coroner's jury did? I, I think it's a, a quite fascinating um, piece to motivate a study of what it is that we think of as true. And with that in mind, although I don't have – I don't assert that Bierce had this in mind, I think the damn thing of it is, hmm. right, that we never know.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I like I like putting – Things in context, and I, I I really like how you you do highlight the the difference between the opening section and the final section where it is a very gothic opening. Um, he is so playful that you can almost miss miss that um, the the chapter titles, uh, especially the opening one, it's incredibly playful. One does not always eat what is on uh. the table. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> But uh, another way of looking at that, if you can get past the humor of it, when you find out what's actually on the table is a corpse of a, of a man, uh, all these people waiting to have supper, waiting for the final guest to arrive, and um, is to think about it like, uh, just because it's on the plate in front of you doesn't mean you have to swallow it, you know. Um, we don't have to take one particular judgment as to what's going on, and I guess... In a way, if you look back at it, the opening section being so deliberately dripped out to us actually makes us better prepared for that final conclusion that we have to live with a kind of uncertainty. There are many things in this world that don't have... um, Visual, we have visual access, but are nonetheless real. So, uh, in that sense, I, I, the first thing I picked out uh, from the opening section was this line and the opening of a sentence: "The shadow of the book." Right. So uh-huh. th- this is a story about a, a story that was written in two other ways. One was in the newspaper, which is how this story, The Damn Thing by Ambrose Bierce, was published. It was published in a daily journal, which is funny. Um, The author uh, in the story, William Harker, was a journalist who sometimes submits uh, journalism as fiction and sometimes as uh, fact. Um, And then there's the jury's um, jury's verdict, which is somewhat fiction and somewhat fact, in in the fact that they don't only conclude that it was a it was a um, a mountain lion. They also conclude that they had fits. And I'm not sure who the they is if it's not both uh, Harker and Morgan or. Whatever <laughs> the mountain lion, like who is the they? It's very unclear so it is. we are living in the shadow of the book and in the shadow, things are dark and hard to see, just like that book in a in a cabin with no window, just an opening um, and a single tallow to light the whole room it's it is a very spooky, very um gothic scene set in uh the least gothic place you can imagine is like california right um so that's that's the shadow that that uh casts over the rest of the story for me but you can also place it in its context and um the the first story i like before liked, you, before oh, you sure. move on but I, you know, I
1: i'd like to say that i, I think I, I i think you're seeing yeah, this idea of seeing and what constitutes truth and how accurately we can understand. I think you're saying it very well. Uh, Focusing on that notion, the shadow of the book, which is in the fourth line um, is very good. Very good. Indeed. That paragraph begins with, by the light of a tallow candle, which you have in fact um, pointed us to, I would just point out that a, a tallow candle is different from a kerosene lamp, which one might have expected in a California camp. Um, And it's also different from a wax candle. In fact, uh, tallow is animal fat. Right. And you get it by slaughtering an animal and then using what you can get from it. Uh, I point that out because we are told in that first paragraph that there are nine people in the room. Um, Seven of them are against one wall. Um, Then we have the eighth man, um, excuse me, we have a, uh, the, the, ninth man we've already seen, um, th- the, who's reading from the, the book. And then it said, by extending an arm, any one of them of those seven could have touched the eighth man
0: mm-hmm.
1: who lay on the table, face upward, partly covered by a sheet, his arms at his side. He was dead. Now, Bierce knows what he's doing with language. Right? You don't look at a corpse—I mean, if there are three corpses and four people in a room, you don't say there are seven people in the room. Right, Say there are four people on a, and three corpses, right? I mean, he has purposefully misled us. Yes. And I think that's part of what's going on here. Um I would say more because there's one passage I wanted to highlight, but I won't because I, I stopped you from going back into some of its own antecedents, and I want to hear what you have to say.
0: Right. And so— um Invisibility is a is a very interesting thing. I mean, it goes all the, at least as far back as the Ring of Gyges in in Plato. Um, but as a sort of science fiction concept, um, I think the earliest origin is probably a story called What Was It by a guy named Fitz James O'Brien, uh, written in eighteen or published in eighteen fifty nine. I've read that story. It's a terrific. Uh, story of uh, basically a haunted house that turns out to be haunted by a actual invisible creature that they capture and uh, it eventually dies but it remains invisible um, it's it's it goes exactly from a haunted house fantasy story into very much hard SF in a certain sense um, the Horla which came out in 1886 just a, a few years before this story is um, this could be set in the same universe. I mean, the, as far as I'm concerned, the Horla creature could be the same creature that uh, it could be the damn thing. Um, and then we've got a couple years after this story um, in 1897, The Invisible Man, which is a monster story in another sense. It turns out that the monster is a man. Um, which I don't necessarily think that that is one of the interpretations in this story. Um, and then even uh, you mentioned Dracula at the beginning. Um, yeah, I don't know about the timing on that, but I, I do like the name Harker, and I think it it draws us to pay close attention to the few names that are in this story, and I want to come back to that. But there's also a story by uh, Jack London from 1903, a little bit after these others, called The Shadow and the Flash, which is um, his retelling kind of of The Invisible Man, but with two different approaches to invisibility, one being camouflage and the other being um, becoming literally translucent or transparent. Um, and what I like about this story is that it doesn't give us a conclusion. However, we are forced to try and figure out what's going on. Sometimes this damn thing seems to block the light of stars other times it seems to swallow hands or at least block block out hands um there's no mention of the man on the table being without a hand he's certainly been cut up but there's all sorts of cool things going on there and i also i have a little list here of all the animals and descriptions of the damn thing or at least all the animals mentioned in the story um, and how they're related to that that which we cannot be seen. So it's uh, this is in chronological order. The first thing mentioned is a coyote, which could attack a man, I suppose, but <laughs> they don't tend to defeat men. Uh, then it's described as a something, which is interesting. We get mention of a deer, which have can attack men. And in, indeed the 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 two men in the story, Morgan and Harker, are carrying buckshot, which is to kill deer. A grizzly they think it may have, uh, Harker thinks they may have come across a grizzly. Then um, he asks, what the devil is it? <laughs>
1: um,
0: leaning to the damn thing. <laughs> uh, a wild animal is next described fighting dogs is the sound um when he's hit when harker's hit by the creature or what have you it's described as quote some soft heavy substance which makes me think soft that's a funny kind of way of thinking i mean makes me think of the dunwich horror which is um a little later and obviously somewhat inspired by this story Um, and then one of the descriptions is a fit or a convulsion comes across him. So it could be his own body rather than some other body. Then the jury concludes it's a mountain lion and that they had fits. And then that brings me back to the buckshot. So (laughs) whatever happened, um we are not supposed to conclude that it can't possibly be an animal. But we're not left with the feeling that it is an animal either. He's, so he's he's very careful not to tell us what it is. But having left us with that final chapter in which the author, Harker, does not get to see, actually, that's, that's told only from the narrator's perspective. I guess that's Bierce's uh perspective
1: well no i think that it's not that section called uh an explanation from the tomb from the, exactly and what we're getting is language out of morgan's journal
0: yes morgan's journal but not from Har- harker never sees this
1: right but it's not necessarily the narrator
0: right it, well it- Who's telling the story? I think it's Beers because he's so tw- he's so twisty.
1: Well, but whoever, my point is that it's it's a quote from something nominally written by Morgan before right. his own death. Yes, exactly. Um, and and it raises one of another one of the interesting uh, examples of the 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 holes in the story that you're pointing to. Um, we're told the three pages were torn from torn from that diary. Mm-hmm. We never. That's it. We're just told that, but we don't know when, by whom, did the coroner remove them? Right. Did Morgan remove them? Did Harker remove them? Um, it's just three pages are missing. Yeah. And maybe that's sort of a metaphor for, uh, I should say, an emblem for how we ever find truth in the, in the world. Yes. There's always you know more that we want that we can than we can get.
0: Yeah, I, 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 and I think that that's why I point to those other stories. See, it's it's not like the scientific sort of science fiction mindset suddenly came into being wholly with H.G. Wells. I think if anybody got it, it was him, right? If anybody was to be attributed with the, with the whole, whole cloth of science fiction creation, it would have to be him. However, the pre-echos of it are out there and Bierce had he not uh been busy with so many other things i think he could have been credited um but well i I think we
1: could go back for it i I think the facts in the case of monsieur voldemar by poe sure 1840s is fully a science fiction story
0: yeah and and as is uh well Yeah, I mean, this isn't because... As as is Frankenstein,
1: which is 18... Well, yeah, it's gothic as well, well,
0: right? I mean, so... uh, What what I'm saying is, like, this ends as a science fiction story. Yes. And it doesn't begin that way. And and (laughs) Frankenstein doesn't begin as a science fiction story either. It begins as a gothic story, and it can be interpreted... In, in retrospect, as a science fiction story. No, and I don't think so.
1: But uh, because it begins in the very first edition, it begins with a preface. And the very first lines are, you know, the facts upon which this is based have been said by some of the German physiologists of not of impossible uh, occurrence. Right. right away. Right away. It establishes the notion of scientific possibility.
0: Yeah. But it, its trappings are, are are well. Its trappings are gothic. gothic yeah. There's no doubt. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's 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 very interesting. It's very curious, and 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 thinking about why invisibility is so much coming to into existence in the latter half of the 19th century has to do with scientific discoveries. People saying, yeah, there are other kinds of light than we can see, and the sort of clever writers out there saying, oh, I might be able to do something with this. <laughs> and then we get stories. I, I also want to point out something that I think is hilarious. Um, I, I'm not 100% sure how to attack Harker's name, although I it draws me to, as I said, listening for the other names. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only other name in the story is Hugh Morgan. And Hugh, H-U-G-H, can also be uh, a homophone for h u e, which is a color. <laughs> and Morgan is uh, morning, so it's dawning on me that uh, in the clear light of day, unlike when the story is set, <laughs> I might have a different opinion than when I'm standing there in the dark room looking at wow. a horribly mutilated corpse. Um, I really like that, Jesse. I mean, uh, it's not me who put it in there, but I, well, am, I am picking up what he's laying down, you know. I don't know.
1: Um, I, I, I'm not saying I'm not saying no, my friend. But um, with the dialect that I speak, H U G H is pronounced U, not H U, uh. and so for me it's homophonous with Y O U. And having some little but nonetheless actual familiarity with German, M-O-R-G-A-N doesn't strike me as morning, since Morgan in German is M-O-R-G-E-N. But Henry Morgan, as opposed to Hugh Morgan, um, is a very, very famous pirate. Um, That is to say, in theory, he's out there doing what he's supposed to do, but in fact, he's out there enriching himself by grabbing what he can get. And our Morgan here is someone who is just, you know, living out in the cabin and taking what he can get out of nature. Um, I'm not suggesting that that we push that very far, but uh, I, I'm only saying I thought about the names too. Mm-hmm. And you came up with something in quite different uh, in, in etymology, but at least as fascinating, which is why I'm saying I really
0: like it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Well, about this story, there is always more to say. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for reading short and deep.